others. The past few months, we have been looking at what the church is through the book of Ephesians, how the church is not just a building, but a people, a community, a family, a family that worships, a family that disciples, a family that witnesses, and a family that counsels, and family that loves one another. Now that last one, a family that loves one another, that's something that we're going to be examining further in this series. Asking the question, how do I love other people? Now, you may be asking, what is love? Now, I don't mean to hearken back to the old Hathaway song, what is love, baby don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. But this repetitive, this, this repetitive song, it did ask the overarching question of this series, what is love? is love and how do I love we see from scripture that we are commanded to love in John 13 34 a new command I give to you love one another but what is it to love to love is an action it's a verb as a millennial I intimately remember the public service announcement that would show up on television almost every hour during my childhood it would say, verb, it's what you do. Meaning verb is an action. And in the same way, love is an action. It is something that you do. Not something that you feel, but a verb. Something that you can do for others or that you can receive from others. So how do we love? Specifically, how do we love people outside of ourselves? That is what we are exploring this morning and in subsequent weeks. Today we are looking at how to love others by serving, which we see in Romans 12, 1 to 8. Please follow along as I read from Romans 12, 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, or what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who, act, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, I thank you for, for giving us the ability to meet with you this morning. Father, thank you for giving us your word that we may be able to read from it that we may be able to um, 
understand your word, that we may be able also to apply it to our lives. Open our hearts and our minds that we may glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. I think the mic is dying. Where is it? Yep. All right. Sorry about that, technical difficulties. Now, as most of you know, I grew up not too far from here, just about an hour and a half from the church. And when I was in middle school, I, they, I had a new rule instituted. They, they instituted that each and every student had to perform a certain amount of community service hours each year in order to advance to the next grade. Now, regardless, if you had good enough grades, you couldn't advance unless you met the community service requirement. This, in theory, was a great idea. Having students see the necessity of not only seeing the needs of the community around them, but also learning firsthand how to serve the community around them. Now, unfortunately, in practice, though, this program did not go over very well. Even when the school finally decided what organization they were going to use, the one they were going to partner with, they weren't sure where to go from there. Now, for that first year, they decided to use the Best Buddies program, which is a wonderful initiative. Yet the teachers themselves, they didn't know how to tell the children, specifically middle schoolers, how to serve others, whether it be kids, parents, or families. So instead of all having all these students coming alongside other children in the Best Buddies program, they had us hold a volleyball fundraiser without ever actually interacting with the Best Buddies program at all. We never became friends with the children in the program, nor helped a single child in a tangible way. All we were do, able to do and all we were told to do was to play volleyball. And if we did it long enough, and if we did it well enough, people would give us money to help us fund the program. Now, to make matters worse, because of poor scheduling, it almost earned no money at all. No one came because no one ever told the students or the parents the reason they wanted us to serve. They never inspired us to have passion for serving. They never really gave a purpose outside of self-betterment and the needing to have enough service hours in order to advance to the next grade. Neither did we see our teachers. The ones who were guiding us, they never even showed an example to imitate. Needless to say that this did not teach children how to serve others. And it soured many students on the practice as a whole. In subsequent years, it even got worse. So that by the time I was a junior in high school, they waived the whole requirement and made it a suggestion so that you would have a better chance to get into a good college. The reason why I tell this story from my life is that people as a whole, including us here and including those of us online, we, we are confused and we are unsure of why we should be serving others as well as how we should be going about it, especially if we don't feel like we are equipped to do so. We see in Romans 12, 1 to 8, why we should be loving others and the attitude that we must have and examples of the gifts that God has given us to serve. Let's look at the first question of why we must serve. The first two verses show us that we are to love others by serving because of the mercy that God has shown to us. 
It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul here, he is spelling out the implications of being a follower of Jesus. That because Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He died a perfect, sacrificial death. And he was raised to life to the glory of God the Father. That we must follow this command to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And that these sacrifices are to be holy as well as pleasing to God. Or in other words, acceptable worship to God. But what makes something holy? What makes something pleasing or acceptable to God? We know that things that make, that make us happy, things that are pleasing to us, that are acceptable to us, it's something that we enjoy or it gives us some kind of benefit. For something that pleases God, it's something that He desires for us to do, to follow His commands, which we see given to us in the Bible. It pleases Him when we obey His Word. It pleases Him when we, are, when we are acting as He has called us to be, holy, to be set apart for Him and Him alone. So what does that mean then to be a living sacrifice to God? Paul points us back out of Romans, in this case, back to the Old Testament, specifically to the book of Leviticus, where we see laws that how it's to govern the sacrifices that occur. Leviticus commands that when an animal was given to sacrifice, it had to be a sacrifice at the tabernacle, and while it was still alive, it had to be holy. It had to be pure. It had to be unblemished, perfect-looking, so that it would be acceptable to God. A sacrifice was made for Israel's corrupt, blemished, and imperfectness, their sin. So when Paul declares that we must be a living sacrifice, he is telling us that, we, that not that we must all die as martyrs to God, but rather that he is saying we must live lives, our daily lives, our work, our home, our school, our play, as living sacrifices to God. Giving up our sinful flesh to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God. Giving up what we want so that God will be glorified. Now as we look closer, we must do more than just like the idea of this. We must actually act in this way. We must actually offer ourselves for God, to for His use. Everything from our talents, our minds, our bodies, our relationships, our bank accounts, our time, all in service to God. A great example of this is from the life of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, who at 19 years old, in 1719, was on a grand tour of Europe. Zinzendorf, he was a godless and carefree young man. But upon seeing this famous painting of Jesus, where he was presented to the crowd by Pilate with the words, Here is this man from John 19. Now, as you're going to see upon the slide in just a second, upon seeing this painting, his whole life was changed. Zinzendorf's eyes were transfixed, transfixed on the figure of dignity, 
of sorrow with a crown of thorns and a purple robe. His eyes, they looked down on the painting and underneath he saw the words that said this, All this I did for you. What are you doing for me? This thought of being a living sacrifice for God changed Zinzendorf's life. He ended up starting a movement, a movement called the Moravians, a movement that changed much of Europe. And he became a pioneer in missionary work, all starting with a thought that because Jesus died for me, how can I serve him? So what are you doing? How are you serving God? How are you being a living sacrifice in a manner that not only helps you grow in your relationship with God, but also so that you can show the love of God to others, to your families, and to your neighbors? The last part of verse 1, which says, which is your spiritual worship. By serving God, by following His commands to be a living sacrifice, you are worshiping Him. You are worshiping Him as a normal part of your daily life, using both your mind and your body, your whole self, as God intended us to do, as His creation instead of worshiping idols. Now, so far in this passage, we see that we must worship God because of who He is, because of this act of mercy that He has shown us. We have answered why we must do this, why we must serve Him. But there still is one more nagging question. How? How do I serve God? Verse 2 shows us this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now it's so much easier to be conformed to something than to be transformed by something. To conform is the easy way, just to keep going the way you're living, or maybe modify it in just the slightest way so that you're like everyone else around you. But to live as a way to be transformed, that's something difficult. It's something that you have to put emphasis behind. It's hard work. Now, when I was growing up, I was really a big fan of the movie's Transformers. About a movie is about these mechanical aliens called Autobots who came from a far off, from a distant planet who stayed on Earth to be safe from the creatures that were hunting them. And in this way, we see that these aliens, they took the form of cars, of buses, of vehicles of all different types of sorts. Yet they didn't become totally like them. They needed, when they needed to stand, when they needed to fight, rather than looking like SUVs or things like that, they transformed into their na native form to look like creatures almost the size of buildings rather than small automobiles. While they may have been in our world, they never became conformed to our world or to its ways. Much in the same way, Paul is stating that if you are a follower of Christ, do not become like the culture you are living in. Do not live in such a way that you forget purposely or unintentionally 
the grace that God has given you and the price that it cost. Instead, let your mind be transformed. Let the Holy Spirit work in you by changing you back to the way that God intended. A mind that is focused on sin is only going to be for the betterment of yourself. But a mind focused on Christ is to His glory. This is such an important aspect of the Christian life, yet it is one that we often forget. We are transformed by reading God's Word, by being in His Word, by teaching it, by sharing it, by memorizing it. And by being God's Word, He will show you how you are to live a holy life. A life set apart for Him and for His purposes, for His glory, and not ours. Additionally, when we're being transformed, we see how God desires us to serve. And by sharing the mercy, sharing about the grace that He has shown to His people, with the community that's surrounding us, we are trying to transform the world around us. If you are living a transformed life, you should be trying to transform the culture that is around you for Christ. Shining the light of the gospel in every corner of society. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. It takes time. It takes effort. It must take an intentional effort. It takes knowing the people that are around you. Knowing your neighbors. Being with them. Talking with them. Having conversations with them. Being in their daily lives in ways that you, takes you out of your comfort zone and places you in their lives. Transforming the culture around you is an outpouring of the transformation that is happening in you. By humbling yourself and being like a living sacrifice to those who are around you. So that by the words that you speak and by the actions that you take, you are showing that you are a follower of God and what that actually means. That by the actions you take, that they see the gospel. That by the relationships that you forge with them, with your neighbors, that they will see the love that God has shown you. This gives us opportunities. Opportunities to have gospel conversations, like the ones we've been talking about in our Sunday school class. Having gospel conversations with your neighbors so that you are trying to be transformational, transforming the culture around you as God is transforming you into the man or woman of God that He has called you to be. Now, so far this morning, we have seen that we must love others because God loved us first. We must serve God, which also means serving others. And we must serve by being transformational rather than being conformed. The next thing we see is in verses 6 to 8 of our passage, that the gifts that God gives us can be used to transform others by serving. It says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, 
the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Paul in a number of places throughout Scripture, he, sh- he writes lists, lists of spiritual gifts, and this is one of them. Now, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list by any means, but these are lists of, of gifts that we see in our world, to see the gifts that God has given us. Nor are these lists of essential gifts that all Christians must have. Rather, it's a list of gifts that we can use to transform our world around us, not only by how people think, but how, by how we act, by living in a manner which God has called us to be, like we saw in the first verse, holy and pleasing to God. The gifts that God gives us are prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. And each of these gifts we see are in service to God, spreading the mercy and love of God to others in word and deed. Now, some of these gifts, some of these gifts are easy to understand, but others are harder to understand. For instance, when we see Paul speaking of prophecy in verse 6, He's not speaking of a person who is revealing additional or new revelation from God, like an Old Testament prophet, like like Moses. Rather, Paul is saying that some have the gift to speak Scripture, to speak God's Word into people's lives, to build them up, as well as to encourage them, to console them, to counsel them, or to bring them to see their sin in their lives that they may be drowning in. No matter what, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given a gift. It may not be given the gift of prophecy, it may not even be a gift in this list, but you have been given a spiritual gift. And that purpose of that gift is to share the love and mercy of God with others. Serving God by sharing the gospel, either in discipleship with fellow believers, or by witnessing to your neighbors, to those around you, Instead of looking at each and every one of these gifts, specifically, I want to see us today look at whether you're here online or whether you're, or whether you're here or whether you're online, I want you to ask yourself this question. What gift has God has given me that I must be using it to serve Him? Whether that gift may be on this list or in a gift list that Paul gives somewhere else, God has given a gift to you. And its purpose is, is at no greater time to be used than now. As you know, we are all currently living in a time where people all around us, all around the world, are in some form of quarantine or another. This is the reason that most of you are worshiping at home rather than worshiping with us here. You're gathered together as individuals, as families or as groups, huddled around TVs, laptops, tablets, or phones. And while it's important for one of us, or each one of us, not to... um, to escalate this virus, to spread it to our families, to spread it to our friends, to spread it to our neighbors. We are doing a disservice to them if we are not using the gifts that God has given us at such a time as this. While you may need to stay six feet away from a person or only meet in small groups, I encourage you to ask yourself, how can I use the gifts that God has given me like the ones in verses 6 to 8, to serve my family, to serve my neighbors? How can I use, say, the gift of mercy to help my neighbor who needs basic necessities such as toilet paper or food because the stores are sold out of them? 
How can I use my gift of service to help people behind the scenes, maybe to walk my neighbor's dog because they're unable to leave their home? You don't have to be within six feet of a person to care for them. You don't even need to be in the same area as a person to serve them. Each and every one of these gifts, God has given, and He gives them to us personally so that we can both use them to help people physically and spiritually. By helping others physically, we gain a platform to have gospel conversations. And by helping your neighbor consistently, you gain a dialogue so that you may share the love of God with them. Talking about his life, his death, his resurrection, his resurrection and the sin that we have. Use this situation as an opportunity. Many of you have more free time than you have ever had before. Serve those around you in ways that God has gifted you. But beware. Don't get caught up in thinking that God has given you a specific gift and that you are more important because of it. If God is giving you a specific gift, that you are greater than someone who has a different gift. For the attitude that we have as a servant is just as important as the act of service. We see this in verses 3 to 6. A servant is humble. A servant is unified. And a servant is equipped. As we saw in the lists that Paul gives, each one of them, each one of these gifts are different. We see a wide variety of them. And now while they sometimes overlap a little bit here and there, they each serve their own function. It says this, For by gr the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul here, he is remaining humble. If anyone had the, the cause, the reason to stand up and say, hey, everyone, I'm important, it would be Paul. Paul was the one who saw Jesus risen from the dead in a vision. He is the one who preached the gospel to so many on his missionary travels. He's the one who started so many churches. Paul was the one who persevered despite being thrown out of towns constantly, despite being stoned. Even more, Paul wrote the majority of the Old Testament. This is the man who says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than we ought to think. He reminds everyone that he was not only able to use his amazing resume or his accomplishments, this highlight reel of people whom he witnessed to, he points them back con consistently and constantly to the grace that God has given him. Paul never forgets who has changed him. He never forgets that it was God who saved a wretched man, a man who used to persecute Christians and went from town to town stoning them and approving of their demise. And it was that, it was by God's grace alone bought for Him, bought for us on the cross. By the blood of Jesus did God transform a wretched sinful man into one who has been declared holy in the sight of God. 
by the mercy that God has given him, Paul states that we must be humble and not to think of ourselves so highly. For by God's amazing grace, He has taken our sin and He has credited it to our account as righteousness. If we know Jesus as our Savior, He has done this for us. Now, this humility on account of our salvation is only part of what Paul is trying to say here. A servant, yes, should be humble, but they should also be humble in the gifts that God has given them, meaning this. Now, we said before that God has given each one of us certain gifts. Now, some of these gifts, they may be underdeveloped. Some of these gifts, though, they may be plain as day. Some of these gifts that Paul has listed are not something that you may have a great deal of skill in nor maybe have you even known that they were around yet. Regardless of the gift itself, Paul was urging us. And we can tell by his word choice, it makes it clear, he is pleading with us to have humility. Whatever, God, whatever gift God has given you does not make you more important than someone else, nor does it make your gift more important than someone else's gift. Each gift that God has given is an important piece to building up His kingdom. Each gift is important in sharing God's love with others, both in word and in deed. When we start to think of our gift as more important or more essential than others, we have put ourselves up on a pedestal. We have started to make an idol out of our gifting. This is a dangerous place to be. The gifts that God gives us are meant to be used to share His gospel, to serve God by loving others. Yet the gift of speaking God's Word um, in situations may be in a more public type of ministry. Yet it is no less important than giving generously or performing merciful acts to others that may be done behind the scenes. Each of the gifts that God gives us are equally as important as to the work of creating disciples, making disciples, and being a witness of the gospel to the world. So how are you being humble in your gifting? Are you lording it over people? God has given you the ability to maybe zealously lead while He's given someone else the ability to serve quietly in the background. Or are you seeing the picture that Paul is painting, that we are one body with many different functions, all needed to work in unanimity, to be in unity with one another in serving God? This is a key, this is a part of the whole to understanding this holistic idea of, of serving. Speaking of unity in verses 4 and 5, Paul paints a picture that I was alluding to, that the church being a body. For he says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one another. Here Paul is saying that the character of a servant is one that is not only humble, but seeks unity with the family of God. Each person, they have a role to play, and it's important to the whole. A great example of this is in professional football. Most of you know I'm a huge fan of the New England Patriots. And 
I have been a fan of them for most of my life. And during, actually, that whole tenure, Bill Belichick has been the head coach. And I am fascinated about how he works. The way he crafts his roster is fascinating. Each and every single player on his roster is there for a purpose. Each player has a role to play and a role they're expected to do. Even if it's a lowlier role than, say, quarterback. Maybe it's a backup role. They're all expected to perform it. Now, many players, after leaving Belichick's team, they criticize him for not showing off how great they were, for not putting them in the spotlight. While he is far from perfect, the way that he crafts his team each year is worthy of a case study. He crafts a team with a singular mindset, unity. He expects his team to be unified. He will cut players who do not share this mindset, even if they could be a benefit to his team, even if they could give them a better chance of winning. This singular unit knows their role, and they serve in that role to the best of their ability, even if they don't think it is the role that they want to serve in. Much in the same way, Paul in verses 4 to 5 is telling Christians in Rome that each individual must see themselves as part of a bigger whole. They each have gifts that God has given them to transform their world rather than conform to the standards of the society. And it's standards. Each gift that is given cannot have the same function, and that's a good thing. This can be seen in the ministries of our church as well. When I reach out to someone to ask if they will serve in a specific part of ministry, it's because they have a gift that I don't have. And I desire for them to serve in a certain capacity because I know they'll be able to minister to a person in a way that I cannot. This idea of being humble is, and this idea that we must self-evaluate is so that we can work together for the purpose that God has given each and every one of us here on this earth, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, which we can do in serving. We can glorify Him through our actions as well as our words. Now you may be thinking, I know God has given me a gift, and I want to remain humble and unified with others, but how do I grow this gift? The answer is at the beginning of verse 6 having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That key part is the last part of the verse, that last phrase, let us use them. Because of the grace that God has given in bestowing different gifts and important gifts to individuals, God grows these gifts by having us use them. Now, some of this is common sense. If you have something you need, you have to be trained for it. You have to train it so that it can be a finely tuned instrument. For instance, if you have ability to play music, like we, like we have with our worship team, some of them may be able to hear changes in music and have been able to do that naturally. Some have the ability to pick up any instrument and play it without any problems. But if you decided to never practice that instrument to never master that skill, to be able to play melodious sounds on an orchestra all of your own, then you are doing a disservice. You are not utilizing that gift. In the same way, Paul is urging followers of God to serve Him, to, to serve God using the gifts that God has given us, even if they are in their infancy. 
so that they may be grown, so that growth can happen and you can exercise it. Now, all of you know I have, I have three daughters and that they're at various ages and various stages of development. My youngest daughter, Esther, she is just learning to walk. I say learning because she has the ability to take a handful of steps. But if there is anything in her way at all, even if it is like a piece of string, she will most likely fall to the ground. She is still mastering her craft. If you are serving in the nursery, it's, well, you need to, it is because you see yourself having a gift to be able to minister to young children. Yet you don't just give up after one time. You need to hone your skills, not take them for granted. For you are practicing these skills because God has given, to you to them, or given them to you for a purpose, to share His Word both in discipling and in evangelism. In the same manner, these gifts of service, they must be tried and trained, and these are important to master them because these gifts are meant to serve others, not only those in the church, but those in the community around you. I've said before this morning, we are living in a time where our community is dealing with pressure, dealing with fear, dealing with the unknown. This will bring us challenges in the coming days, in the coming weeks, and possibly the coming months ahead. Use the gifts that God has given you to minister to the people around you. Find your neighbor. And whatever gifts God has given you, use them to have gospel conversations. For God has equipped you, and He is training you through your life experiences to share the gospel to others, to minister to them. Love your neighbors just as God has loved you. Show mercy to your community just as God has shown mercy to you. Serve your community just as we see in Scripture with Jesus ministering here on earth. For the fields, they are ripe harvest and God has commanded his people to go out into the fields serving him reaping and sowing the seeds of the gospel please join me in prayer heavenly father holy and almighty God we thank you for letting us hear your word father we see in your word that you have commanded us to serve you have given us gifts so that we may serve you Father, please give us opportunities that we may share with our neighbors, we may share with our family. We may have gospel conversations with them, either to build them up in discipleship or to share the gospel with them so that they may come to know you, Father. Give us this courage. Give us the boldness to use these gifts so that we may show the mercy that you have shown us. It is by Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We now have a song.